the Father Christmas Letters by J.R.R. Tolkien. I'm dreadfully busy this year. It makes my hand more shaky than ever when I think of it, and not very rich. In fact, awful things have been happening, and some of the presents have got spoiled, and I haven't got the North Pole. I haven't got the North Polar Bear to help me, and I have had to move house just before Christmas, so you can imagine what a state everything is in, and you'll see why I have a new address. It all happened like this. One very windy day last November, my hood blew off and went and stuck on the top of the North Pole. I told him not to, but the North Polar Bear climbed up to the thin top to get it down, and he did. The pole broke in the middle and fell on the roof of my house, and the North Polar Bear fell through the hole through the hole it made into the dining room with my hood over his nose and all the snow fell off the roof into the house and melted and put out all the fires and ran down into the cellars where I was collecting this year's presents and the north polar bear's leg got broken. He is well again now but I was so cross with him that he says he won't try to help me again. I expect this temper. I expect his temper is hurt and will be mended by next Christmas. I send you a picture of the accident of my new house on the cliffs above the North Pole with beautiful cellars in the cliffs. If John can't read my old shaky writing, 1925 years old, he must get his father to. When is Michael going to learn to read and write his own letters to me? Lots of love to you both and Christopher, whose name is rather like mine. Nineteen twenty-six. I'm more shaky than usual this year. The North Polar Bear's fault. It was the biggest bang in the world, and the most monstrous firework there ever has been. It turned the North Pole black and shook all the stars out of place. It broke the moon into four, and the man in it fell into my back garden. He ate quite a lot of my Christmas chocolates before he said he felt better, and climbed back to mend it and get the stars tidy. Then I found out that the reindeer had broken loose. They were running all over the country, breaking reins and ropes and tossing presents up in the air. They were all packed up to start, you see. Yes, it only happened this morning. It was a sleigh load of chocolate things, which I always send to England early. I hope yours are not badly damaged. But isn't the North Polar Bear silly? And he isn't a bit sorry. Of course he did it. You remember I had to move last year because of him? The tap turning on the Aurora Borealis fireworks is still in the cellar of my old house. The North Polar Bear knew he must never, never touch it. 
I only let it off on special days like Christmas. He says he thought it was cut off since we moved. Anyway, he was nosing around the ruins this morning soon after breakfast. He hides things to eat there and turned on all the northern lights for two years in one go. You've never heard or seen anything like it. I've tried to draw a picture of it, but I'm too shaky to do it properly, and you can't paint fizzing light, can you? Nineteen twenty-seven. It has been so bitter at the North Pole lately that the North Polar Bear has spent most of the time asleep and has been less use than usual this Christmas. The North Pole became colder than any cold thing ever has been. And when the North Polar Bear put his nose against it, it took the skin off. That's why it's bandaged with red flannel in the picture. But the, di- but the bandage has slipped. Why did he? I don't know, but he's always putting his nose where it oughtn't to be. Into my cupboards, for instance. Also, it's been very dark since winter began. We haven't seen the sun, of course, for three months. And there are no northern lights this year. You remember the awful accident last year? There will be none again until the end of 1928. The North Polar Bear has got his cousin and distant friend, the Great Polar Bear, to to shine extra bright for us. And this week I've hired a comet to do my packing by, to do my packing by, but it doesn't work as well. You can see that by my picture. The North Polar Bear has not really been any more sensible this year. Yesterday he was snowballing the snowman in the garden and pushed him over the edge of the cliff so that he fell into my sleigh at the bottom and broke lots of things. One of them was himself. (coughs) I used some of what was left of him to paint my white picture. 1928. What do you think the poor dear old bear has been and done this time? Nothing as bad as letting off all the lights only fell from top to bottom of the main stairs on Thursday. We were beginning to get the first lot of parcels down out of the storerooms into the hall. Polar Bear would insist on taking an enormous pile on his head, as well as lots in his arms. Bang, rumble, clatter, crash. Awful moanings and growlings. I ran... Oops. I ran. Where are we? I ran there. I ran out onto the landing and saw he had fallen from top to bottom onto his nose, leaving a trail of balls, bundles, parcels, and things all the way down. And he had fallen on top of some and smashed them. I hope you got none of these by accident. I have do- I have drawn you a picture of it all. Polar bear was rather grumpy at my drawing. Uh, was rather grumpy at my drawing it. He says my Christmas pictures always make fun of him, and that one year he will send one drawn by himself, of me, being silly, 
but of course I never am, and he can't draw well enough. When he had picked himself up, he ran out of doors and wouldn't help clear up what and wouldn't help clear up because I sat on the stairs and laughed as soon as I found there was not much damage done. But anyway, I thought you would like a picture of the inside of my new big house for a change. This is the chief hall under the largest dome where we pile the presents usually. Ready to load all the sleighs at the doors. Polar Bear and I built it nearly all ourselves and laid all the blue and mauve tiles, the banisters and roof are not quite straight, but it really, but it doesn't matter really. I painted the pictures on the walls of the trees and stars and suns and moons. 1929. It is a light Christmas again, I'm glad to say. The northern lights have been especially good. We had a bonfire this year to please the polar bear, to celebrate the coming in of winter. The snow elves let off all the rockets together, which surprised us both. I've tried to draw you a picture of it, but really there were hundreds of rockets. You can't see the elves at all against the snow background. The bonfire made a hole in the ice and woke up the great seal who happened to be underneath. The polar bear let off 20,000 silver sparklers afterwards, used up all my, all my stock, so that's why I had none to send you. Then he went for a holiday to North Norway and stayed with a woodcutter called Olaf and came back with his paw all bandaged just at the beginning of our busy times. There seem more children than ever in all the countries I especially look after. It's a good thing clocks don't tell the same time all over the world or I should never get around. Although when my magic is strongest at Christmas, I can do about a thousand stockings a minute if I have it all planned out beforehand. You could hardly guess the enormous piles of lists I make out. I seldom get them mixed. But I, but I am rather worried this year. You can guess from my pictures what happened. The first one shows you my office and packing room and the polar bear reading out names while I copy them down. We had awful gales here, worse than you did tearing clouds of snow to a million tatters, screaming like demons, furring my house almost up to the roofs. Just at the worst, the polar bear said it was stuffy and opened a north window before I could stop him. Look at the result. Only, actually, the north polar bear was buried in papers and lists. But that did not stop him from laughing. Nineteen thirty. I have enjoyed all your letters. I hope you will like your stockings this year. I tried to find what you asked for, 
but the stores have been in rather a muddle. You see, the polar bear has been ill. He had whooping cough, first of all. I could not let him help with the packing and sorting, which begins in November, because it would be simply awful if any of my children caught polar bear, polar whooping cough, and barked like bears on Boxing Day. So I had to do everything myself in the preparations. Of course, Polar Bear has done his best. He cleaned up and mended my sleigh and looked after the reindeer while I was busy. That is how the really bad accident happened. Early this month, we had a most awful snowstorm, nearly six feet of snow, followed by an awful fog. The poor Polar Bear went out to the reindeer stables and got lost and nearly buried. I did not miss him or go to look for him for a long while. His chest had not got well from the whooping cough, so this made him frightfully ill, and he was in bed until three days ago. Everything has gone wrong, and there has been no one to look after my messengers properly. Aren't you glad the polar bear is better? We had a party of snowboys, sons of the snowmen, which are the only sort of people that live near. Not, of course, men made of snow, though my gardener, who is the oldest of all the snowmen, sometimes draws a picture of a made snowman instead of writing his name. And polar cubs, the polar bear's nephews, on Saturday. As soon as he felt well enough, he didn't eat much tea. But when the big cracker went off after, he threw away his mug and leaped into the air and has been well ever since. The top picture shows Polar Bear telling a story after all things had been cleared away. The little pictures show me finding Polar Bear in the snow and Polar Bear sitting with his feet in hot mustard and water to stop him from shivering. It didn't, and he sneezed so terribly he blew five candles out. Still, he's all right now. I know because he has been at the, his because he's been at his tricks again, quarreling with the snowman, my gardener, and pushing him through the roof of his snow house, and packing lumps of ice instead of presents in naughty children's parcels. Uh, that that might be a good idea, only he never told me. And some of them, with ice, were put in warm storerooms and melted all over good children's, melted all over good children's presents. Well, my dears, there's lots more I should like to say about my green brother and my father, old grandfather Yule, and why we were both called Nicholas after the saint, whose day is December 6th, who used to give secret presents, sometimes throwing purses of money through the window. But I must hurry away. I'm late already, and I'm afraid you may not, you may not get this in time.
Oji-chan's Gift by Cherry Yugaki, illustrated by Genevieve Sims. Sims. <laughs> when Mayumi Van Horten was born, her grandfather built her a garden. It sat behind a tidy brown house nearly halfway around the world, and it was unlike any other garden she knew. tulips or daffodils or daisies, no carrots or cabbages or peas. Oji-chan had made the garden out of stones, the big ones, little ones, and ones in between. Some, re- some reminded Mayumi of turtles. Others stood like mountains, rugged and tall. Around the border, Oji-chan had planted pine and maple boxwood and bamboo and in just the right spot by a stone lantern a persimmon tree was was a sheltered bench where Oji-chan and Mayumi would share onigiri bento packed in a lacquered box every summer Mayumi spent two months with Oji-chan and with each year her ability to care for the garden grew She learned that moss on a rock was a gift of time, not to be washed away with a hose, that weeding was more pleasant in the morning, and that clipping shrubs to look like clouds was the best of all reasons to prune. Hmm. Raking gravel, though, was what Mayumi enjoyed most. She loved how the tiny rocks chattered as they passed through the rake's wooden teeth. She loved the different patterns she could make. Wavy, zigzag, and straight. But rings like ripples in a pond were her favorite. And when she was done, Mayumi and Oji-chan would sit and enjoy the results of her efforts in happy silence. Often when Mayumi was back home in her narrow house, listening to the clamor of traffic outside, she would wish for the sounds she heard at Oji-chan's, the rustle of leaves, or the crack of a bow or a twittering bird. At those times, Mayumi would open up the tin that held the souvenirs from her visits. Leaves she pressed in a book until they dried delicate as dragonfly wings, tiny pine cones still springing between her fingertips, a smooth black stone that, when warmed in her hand, helped her to remember. Then one summer, everything changed. Mayumi noticed the differences as soon as she arrived. Things in the house that used to shine were dusty and dull. In the garden, shrubs and trees were overgrown and dead leaves and needles littered the ground. Everything looked left alone. She understood now that what her parents had told her was true. Oji-chan could not live here anymore. 
Later in Oji-chan's room, Mayumi tried to smile while she showed him photos from the school year. Birdsong wafted in on a green-scented breeze. Mayumi looked out at her garden. Hi, Oji-chan said. It's been waiting for you, Mayumi-chan. After lunch, while Oji-chan napped, Mayumi went into the garden and walked out onto the gravel. As she stared at the rock that towered over every rock around it, the tight butt of feeling that had been in her chest all morning suddenly burst open, and with a rush, she put her hands on the rock, braced her feet in the dirt beneath, and gave a mighty shower. When nothing happened, Mayumi turned around and leaned back, knees bent. She pushed as hard as she could, wanting the rock to give. And if it did, she was going to push and push and push until the thing toppled down. But the rock didn't budge, not even a little. Mayumi kicked the ground hard, spraying gravel everywhere. She kicked again and again, not caring until the rock ricocheted back and hit her on the face. She froze. And as she noticed the mess she'd made, she put a hand to her cheek and sagged to the ground. And after a while, Mayumi stood up and began raking because it was something useful that she could do. What are you She slowly raked the gravel back in place, stooping now and then to pick up a stray leaf or to pocket a shiny pebble. A tiny idea took root. The next morning, while her parents packed up the house, Mayumi knocked on Oji-chan's door. Ah, Mayumi-chan, he said. Is it lunch already? Mayumi walked to where he sat and held out the lacquered bento box. This feels heavier than onigiri, Oji-chan said as he took it from her. He grinned. What are you feeding me? Maybe mud pie? Mayumi smiled and shook her head. Oji-chan set the box on his lap after a moment. He lifted the lid. Now I've made you a garden, Mayumi said. Oji-chan took her hand and gripped it tight. Arigato, Mayumi-chan, he said. Honto ni arigato. Thank you very much. And back home, Mayumi unpacked her suitcase and set aside several small bags. And then she took out her tin and emptied it of her treasures. The sandy gravel went in first followed by stones of various sizes, placed just so. She added a pine cone next, and then a leaf, before patting the gravel flat. 
and then using her pinky as a rake, Mayumi carefully made smooth, even rings around the largest rocks. And though the garden was much smaller, and the sound was much softer, if she closed her eyes and listened, she was certain she could still hear the pebbles' soothing chatter. Oh, <laughs>